0: Smokes to all the good old days, yeah. You don't have to explain it It's just the way That's recording I think <clears throat> Maybe we should uh...
1: Technology yeah. man
0: Yeah I think that's working <clears throat> Yeah Tweet
1: I don't know how to use any of this stuff I just know it costs <laughs> a lot of money <laughs>
0: I click buttons until stuff starts to work. That's pretty much how I you work. You and it. I both have radio shows, and I don't think either of us really know
1: how to make a radio show. Truly, I
0: think we just have enough resources to figure out how to make things work like in an acceptable manner. <laughs> we make up for it in our bubbling, uh, colorful personalities. Yeah. <laughs> so, so guys, welcome back to the Raise Rowdy
1: Podcast, COVID edition. COVID. Co- #Hashtag COVID. Uh Jackson Gardner <laughs> is here with me today. I'm your host, Nikki T. And a, I haven't a, that's a dog. That's a dog running. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's the apartment
0: life. It is what it is. That's just how that's just how it goes sometimes. It's like I guess. running laps. Everyone's gotta get their exercise in during COVID. Yeah. Including that dog upstairs.
1: She's a sweetheart though.
0: I bet she is. I love all dogs. My landlords live above me
1: and they're also very good friends of mine. That's a win. Yeah. It's a the, big win. They met at my America birthday bar crawl. What? Yeah. Dressed in red, white, and blue, Bobby had the most ridiculous mustache that you could ever think of.
0: <laughs> and that's how <what laughs> he met. <laughs> oh man, it must be true love. She's gonna commit to somebody with a bad mustache. Like I mean, the most I don't I don't know. Maybe it was the
1: booze, you know? Yeah. But I don't know how long how it stayed this long if it was just the booze, you know. So He's, yeah. He's a pretty good guy and she's a pretty good girl. And now they have a beautiful young bouncing baby boy. Oh,
0: sweet. Yeah. And then a wonderful downstairs roommate.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, they call me, me... or I call them the friend lords. Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're my landlords, but they're also my friends. There you go. Landlords can be tricky too so yeah you know, this one's good being friends with them is always nice yeah this one's way more gooder like when i'm out in the backyard <laughs> way more gooder. way more gooder. i missed all your nickisms in the middle of all this quarantine i'm just sitting there like i know i just want to call you
1: and have you tell me weird things <laughs> it happens better in person than it does on the phone to be honest for sure yeah 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 there's a list of things that i say that most people don't really understand but jackson gets because we've I been around an, each other enough and are Good enough friends now to the point where it, it all seems to kind of make sense. Things I guess. like
0: top five. Top five. I like America the best. I do like America the best. It's the I best do country. too. I do yeah. too.
1: That's a fact.
0: Yeah. What What are some other nickisms that uh, we need to cover? Saying
1: gooder or most gooder or most gooderist. Yeah. Yep. Pluralizing random words. Yeah. Yep. Um, I like to say the Facebooks. Mm hmm. Yeah, or literally anything you can say is a singular term. I like to pluralize. That's not a real word at yeah. all. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. They, as you as just long as turn into a real word. <laughs> yeah, I like to live my life on the edge of the. Is this guy being serious
0: or is he messing with us?
1: And the truth is.
0: I'm probably messing with you. You and I have that in common. Yeah. (laughs) Mine gets a little weird sometimes because (laughs) you have the personality where people just take to you anyway. And even if you were being serious, you can get away with a lot more. Yes. I cannot. I have to be very careful. I don't know what it is. I have this buddy Tubbsy from high school who could just walk up to anybody and say the most offensive, ridiculous thing, but he's just, everybody wants to be his buddy so he can get away with it. You know? Yeah. It's one. I think that's part of
1: it for me. Um, People just see the smile in my eye more, even so than than
0: on my face. Yes, (laughs) and they just like let it go. They're like, "All right, that's cool." (laughs) You just delete cognitive dissonance from everyone. Yes,
1: yeah, that's honestly the best way to say it. Uh, Except that I don't understand what you said. (laughs) (laughs) some people will get that did i go too far there with that word that was great (laughs) uh so
0: jackson's here we've done a podcast before and we've co-hosted a few we've done many yeah this one's we haven't done this is the longest stint we've ever gone and my life has changed so much since the last podcast that we've done yeah yeah dude it's been a while over Man. a year, it has been a some, year. What well, has probably been about? No, it's been about a year and a half. Because the last Chelsea's one that I was podcast? on was Chelsea's
1: podcast yeah. with her. Yeah, we yeah. did some fun summer ones. Not last summer, but the summer before, right?
0: Yeah, it'll be two years this summer because yeah. it was the year half about women came out, yeah. and that's when we were we went to like Dirks one night, yep. and then we're at a Red Dirt show the next day or something. Or it was yep. maybe it was Miranda? We ran. Yeah, and yeah, we were not. Feeling that was great. the struggle bus podcast. Yep. Where we were both hungover as shit. Sitting up in the press box watching Mark Anderson walk around, yeah, with some neon shorts on as he does in the most <laughs> epic way,
1: yeah. God bless Mark. Um, I don't even get to see Mark anymore now either because Mark is the program director for <clears throat> Y108, which is the radio station that I have a show on Sunday nights, raise Rowdy Radio. Check it out. <laughs> um, I don't get to see him anymore either. He was on a one Zoom call one zoom call yeah he i think he thought we we could get the COVID on there to be honest you know
0: really (laughs) (laughs) does does this
1: uh, transmit digitally (laughs) no but uh we were on there playing just drinking and playing flip cup and such you know as much as he works
0: he probably is enjoying this to an extent yeah maybe he's a pretty prolific dude he's always
1: dude i can't yeah and I know how much this has changed my life. A dude that's as social as he is and is at as many events in different places as he is, I can't... Yeah, it's a very different thing. Yeah, for sure.
0: He's everywhere all the time. Yeah. Constantly. More than you or I, which is a lot to say. because yeah, We're all over the place a lot. Mm-hmm. Where'd but, you get these glasses? Not to change these? something. These?
1: Yeah. Uh, dude, com. Maybe they'll sponsor the podcast, you know?
0: Those are awesome. Uh, This is not. This is a (laughs) legitimate question. This is not a bit, but but for real. Maybe they'll sponsor them. (laughs) Maybe they will. They're pretty awesome, dude.
1: They have a lot of frames on there, and I'm bad at glasses, just like I'm bad at sunglasses. Like I just
0: break them all the time. Really, not me. I'll buy like these Ray Bans. Mm -hmm. I love sunglasses, and I've always had at least one really nice pair all the time because like I'm super light sensitive. And I also really like to hide behind them, those and yeah. headphones. So I always have a good pair of each. And I, 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 as soon as I get one scratch on them, out the door, new pair come in. That's <laughs> usually about every year and a half, two years. You know. Well, yeah,
1: I like drinking a lot, so sunglasses and me don't really get along great.
0: Right knock on wood i yeah. have this really weird system built into my like instincts yeah. to protect expensive things when i get fucked up <laughs> 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 that's that the thing is, is <laughs> that i don't get, it does really weird i don't know what it is it, no matter how drunk i get or what i do or where i end up the next day the sunglasses are always in the place where they belong and completely intact
1: <laughs> i do not have that at all um, i'm definitely better than i used to be when i was younger but it's. I've definitely lost multiple pairs of Ray Bans in Porta Johns, like at pirate game tailgates or like yeah. at a festival. <laughs> like bend over to pee. Mom's by Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bend over to pee, my sunglasses <laughs> drop in the blue, and I'm like, "Well, <laughs> time for a new
0: pair." Oh man, Actually, yeah, I, I, I've been lucky. I don't, I don't
1: understand. I just ordered a pair of Pit Vipers. Maybe they'll sponsor the podcast too. You know, are oh, those sunglasses? Yeah, dude, they're ridiculous. So you know the Neffs I wear a lot, the Neff Brodies. Yeah, yeah, they're like the one up of those. Okay, they're like the one up level of ridiculous on top of those. They're pretty.
0: Sunglasses and watches is something that we could talk about all day, and I yeah. would never get tired of i used to be quasi into watches a little but i just
1: really don't have enough money to buy expensive stuff and Neither the watches do I. I want are all expensive.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. They're so expensive. Like, could you imagine me able to buy like a Patek or something no. like that? Or you know, that would be... no, because that would mean I was rich, and I don't think that'll ever happen for me. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> much in the same boat there with you, given like this record. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's not a hey, I'm trying to get rich record by any means. <laughs> well, yeah, that's means... that's why we uh, are
1: in the COVID together. Jackson and I, uh, we've hung out once right when right before they put us all in quarantine. So in theory, we're, we're in the same quarantine crew. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, for sure. Because we were there right before they told us we all had to be apart.
0: We're also close enough as friends to where if yeah. we had a big, in, if one of us was rich, yeah. we would have just all quarantined together. Yes, yeah, we would have just like been at the mansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> on the compound. Maybe one day. Maybe we'll just do that as a test run one day.
1: Oh, that sounds great. We could rent the house for like a night. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh shit! Yeah, we're, we're, we're really
1: still poor. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do it for a weekend, maybe. Yeah, we could probably afford a weekend if we had a couple more buddies come. Yeah, my fiance might pay for it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she definitely has more money than you.
0: <laughs> that doesn't take much though. It's not really like a bragging point. I've been a I've been a full time singer songwriter since I was fourteen
1: years old. So yeah, the well, budget at fourteen it was probably good money. Cause the fourteen I had a paper out, so you beat me, I'm sure.
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was good money, like from an hourly rate. Yeah, like I'd work six hours a week and make a hundred dollars an hour. But yeah. yeah, if I worked six hours a week, I it made was just like you fifteen cents a of paper. Fifteen cents a paper? Yeah, for every one I delivered. So you're like, you're like redneck Joe Rogan. He had a paper out.
1: Yeah, dude. I guess I'm definitely not as cool as Joe Rogan. Or I don't shape. know. I
0: don't know. You have your own. You're definitely not as in shape as Joe yeah. Rogan, but neither am I. So, yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, there's a reason we're here today to talk. It's not yeah. just our normal. Is it my wrist or is it? Oh God! Well, let's talk about let's talk about the wrist. Jackson might not be able to play guitar for a little while. What did
0: you do to that thing? Uh, so my fiance Chablis, bought me a. Uh, so she stabbed you? Okay. She <laughs> <laughs> We're not there yet. Yeah. I'm not saying it won't happen, but it, it'd probably be totally justified if it did. So, uh, you know, if you know if, if I end up in court, uh, just remember it was probably my fault. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, she bought me. I, I love Damascus steel. Okay, so we went yeah, to a, like that cool line. Yeah, I love it. Steel. I have yeah. a Damascus steel knife, and I'm always like, you know, splurging on it. Like I just love it. It's one of my favorite. I just. I love craftsman style things mm-hmm. and that have like an ancient craftsman thing too, like old cars, you know, old vets and shit that were made a certain way. So, like, I love that, that kind of stuff. And she, we went to like a flea market and this dude had like legitimate Damascus steel knives, a ton of them. And, I'm not the kind of person to ever spend money on that kind of shit, yeah. like ever. I just don't do it, unless, until I'm at the point where it's like, yeah, sure, cool, that's like 10 cents to me now, you know? <laughs> um, and she bought me this really beautiful, amazing, heavy-weighted Damascus steel knife, and then, you know, I was just using it, like, keeping my garage and shit like that, and use it every now and then, but it's more of a display thing than anything. Yeah. But it is very effective. Um, I use it one night when we are barbecuing, but they bought me, like, like a patio set up for like my grill area to go full dad mode so I can wear my khakis and make hot dogs. Yeah. And uh
1: Your new balances. Yeah,
0: Kennedy, her daughter, my my bonus daughter brought brought the table over to me to like cut zip ties off of it mm-hmm. and I I was totally being safe. I'm like I'm a complete like uh I'm very anal about like weapon safety. I grew up in the middle of nowhere on a farm, so uh, you know, you never cut towards yourself or whatever. So I was cutting the zip ties off and the knife slipped. And it went straight into my wrist, Ugh. like in in there, and it did some type. I don't know if it's a tendon. I don't think it's a tendon because I have full movement. Just some meat. I think I tore the muscle up pretty good. Yeah. So and and it was. Chabli owns a cleaning company, and I go, you know, I I work with her and, and help her run stuff, and and I uh. The next day, I had my whole wrist wrapped, like all because it was bleeding like real bad. <laughs> so we had it all wrapped up. She's like, I can't take you to houses. You look like, like a suicide patient. Like, <laughs> I gotta be careful taking you around clients. Uh, so, yeah, for like four days, it was completely wrapped. We had to change it a Yuck. lot. And, but now, now it's not too bad, but it was almost 100. It felt 100% better, but I was really nursing it, just trying to be careful. Yesterday, I was doing yoga and I just I tweaked it and it went straight back to like full-on excruciating pain so i don't i don't know and i don't have health insurance so we're just gonna give it a few more days before i decide to go get it looked at i think
1: yeah i feel like musicians don't have health insurance just as like a standard
0: it's something we all do just to be cool i think yeah (laughs) yeah it's a trend
1: sure yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) but man, man other than the wrist we're here to talk about the new record
0: Yes, Wizard.
1: Yeah. So Wizard is uh, a record that is kind of on the theme of quarantine, a little, I'd say, right? It's yeah. stick
0: Well, this is the most unplanned, unthought-out thing I've ever done, um, which is have done cool. some dumb stuff. I've done a lot of really dumb stuff, <laughs> a lot of really dumb stuff, but normally, like, if I'm doing a project, literally every day for three months is planned, like, yeah. down to the hour. Yep. I'm very meticulous about that kind of stuff. But this was... My buddy Johnny Interval, who owns Interval Studios, called me, and he, he was... He's just kind of ramping up his business. And he said, hey, man, you know, you want to come over and record some stuff? They just want to try some stuff out. And he said, yeah. I said, if we get some good songs, I'll put them out, whatever. And um, I went into his studio, and I took like all my equipment, and, and I went there a couple times a week for about a month. I went a couple times a week. And we just set up the microphone and I didn't want to track it like a normal record where you lay down the guitar and it's a click track and then you lay down the vocal and then you know you do do it this way. I wanted to do it like a soul record where almost everything is cut completely live. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just record that song until we get the right take. And so I just got gloriously stoned. Like out of my mind and and put my catalog in front of me of songs that aren't going on the record that Alabama's going to be on. Cause everyone's asked me, why isn't Alabama on this record? Well, there's a whole plan for that. That's unfolding as we speak. And I, I just sat in front of this microphone while I was, I was really stoned to I, so I could get inside of these songs that I hadn't ever played live. Maybe never played for anyone. Maybe hadn't played after I put a work tape down from it, from writing it and just see what happened until I think we recorded 20, seven songs some covers some originals i'd never played and just waited for the take to be the holy shit dude take because johnny's not the kind of guy that if something doesn't move him he's gonna say that was good so i really paid attention to when he went holy shit you know, and just yeah. try to connect with the lyrics and try to connect with the sentiment of the song rather than worrying about putting every note in the right place and putting everything on the right beat. There was no click tracks to this record. There was nothing that is traditional or calculated. I just sat down and played songs from the deepest part of my soul, from parts of my life when I was having a really hard time. Um, and I did it that way because I think people need that kind of shit right now. And I didn't know about COVID when we started it and then it all started to unfold and it was like the timing of this is really weird. Yeah. Um it's almost I don't even it's almost like it was kind of meant to happen in the middle of all this cuz yeah. these songs are not this whole record is about mental health if you really want to get down to the core of it. Yeah. I mean, these are songs I wrote in like these moments where I was like I had nobody to go to. I had a lot of things to say and I didn't know how I was going to come out of these other side of these situations. And some of them were realizations of when I did come out the other side of it. And yeah, it was just, it was weird. And then when we got done recording, I I just kind of narrowed them down. And the, the nine that came out was two covers and seven originals was like, really deep stuff and i said this is probably the most cathartic record you're gonna hear to date before southeastern um <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it, yeah I mean, that's the only thing that probably gets me on catharticism and it's way better but still um yeah it's kind of what it was and then when i sat down and thought about what it should be called um people have asked me why it's why is it called a wizard i thought it was kind of like a play on like songwriting or something and wizard the the emblem on the record is actually my first music industry mentor dave fullahan he passed away a few years ago from cancer and one of the last conversations we had we were on this porch he was living with his cousin at the time uh, in kind of like the final moments of his life and um we had a lot of really cool conversations because he was very calm about the situation that he was in and i just go down there and hang out with him and and play tunes and just chat with him and he one of the last things he said to me was I played him this really sad song. I don't think it's on there, but, um, I don't even remember what it was, but he said, you know, songs like that, the ones that are the hardest ones to sing are probably the ones people need to hear the most. And I never, I I didn't think about that for years, years and still get stoned is about him. That's the story of his like influence in my life. And, and I thought, well, that's kind of cool maybe i should somehow make this a tribute to him the whole record because it's based on that whole idea like i i didn't play these songs live for anybody that you never heard some of these songs And you've yeah. heard my whole catalog with I'm the exception say. of some of these like really cathartic songs and uh he was a, a long-haul trucker and he had a tattoo on his arm that was that exact emblem that's on the record so that's why i called it that so that's how it ended up being called wizard
1: Let's talk about the tracks on it, man. So you start off with Salon. On."
0: Yes, yeah, salon On" is. Um, I was living in Nashville, and I woke up one day to a phone, a couple missed calls, and a bunch of text messages from some friends that uh, a, a friend of ours passed away, uh, Ralph Moore, who was the the grandson of the guy that owns Rinky Dinks, and. Um, you know, as you know, Rinky Dinks has been absolutely pivotal. That whole, the whole Moore family has been, I mean, I could, I could credit probably 80% of my career success to Rinky Dinks and, and that family. And he was, you know, Little Ralph was probably the biggest fan of us. Anywhere we'd go, if he was there and we weren't on stage, he convinced the band to make me play. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just a weird thing. He, to hear that he'd passed away and uh bernie nelson had loaned me his guitar because i had no working guitars at the time and it was bon Jovi's old j200 and it was sitting up against the couch in the room i was renting a room off my friend and i had a mattress on the floor and the couch and the, the guitar was just sitting there and i just picked it up like that moment before i even called anybody and it just like i just puked this song out in this moment because i didn't have mo- enough money to go back for the funeral I didn't have the ability to send them anything. Um, and it was just kind of my way of saying to the family and and this whole community of people that have propped me up and carried me through all of these things, these venues and these being the fans, the people that all knew him so well, hey, you know, this is all I can give you. You know, this is what I can do. And, and you know, we're, we're not alone through this and, um, and also talking about him and, and just kind of reflections on life of how you just never know you know it doesn't matter how careful you you are you know and it's this balance of being smart enough to be careful but also living your life yeah. you know what i mean and like yeah. one day it happens to all of us You <laughs> know, so that's where that one came from and it was one of those like 15 minute rights yeah. by myself it just, just at, yeah like 9 30 in the morning just boom. Yeah, I had like three other writes that day too and I don't think any other songs got finished but that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a tough time, man. And sometimes that can be stifling to creativity and sometimes it can help. And it really, yeah. really just depends on the moment, right?
0: You can't calculate it. No, no you can't. You can't. You, you can't calculate it. You can't plan these things. When Shipley and I got together. I hadn't written a song probably six months before we got together and I didn't write anything until probably about three months ago. So like... A year of our relationship I didn't write anything I didn't write a song I mean let me like kind of preface that to I'm always writing yeah I'm always observing I'm always writing things down but the way that I do it is very different from the way the publishing company wanted me to do it when I was in that position I really like to play shows and live my life and do all the cool shit that I like to do and just pay attention to details and I'll write them down and I have thousands of these notes on my phone and whenever I feel the need, uh, whether that be a record coming up and I got to write 15 or 20 songs, I have the content. I can do it. I know how to write songs. I'm still playing guitar every day. Uh, I'm still playing shows all the time. Um, you know, not now, obviously, but <laughs> but I, I have the ability to sit down and write when it, the time comes. But songs like Sail On were just this, I don't really know what else to do you know, I'm just going to sit down and do this now because it's all I got, you know, and yeah. it's the only way that I could even make sense of something like that. So, and
1: sometimes moments like that have some of the greatest things come out. And I think sail is definitely a standout track on this project for sure. It's is top
0: five for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely. top five. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it's probably from a recording standpoint, my favorite. Yeah. Um, these are all, it's hard. Chris asked me when Publicist that's working this record yeah. that you, that you hooked me up with, uh, yep. he asked me what my favorite was, and I, I I just really don't have an answer for that because they're all very important to me for different realizations or things that I've gone through. Yeah. You know.
1: Yep. Yeah, and then the next track is "Kill Me to Stay." That was a, a co-write.
0: Yeah, I um I, I wrote those verses, um in Florida a few years ago going through some weird stuff and um i really love the verses and i love the guitar part and i thought well this at the time that was about the time i really started to hit my stride as like a writer mm-hmm. because that's when i discovered jason Isbell. it was the year that i discovered jason Isbell, as weird <laughs> as that is and and like john morland and these writers that you and i are always sending like super sad songs to each yeah. other with um And so I really started to analyze like lyricism and song structure and all of these things that like musical nerds could really get into, but really thinking about the way that I said things instead of just like, oh, that works because the rhyme scheme works and it's close to what I'm trying to say, but really focusing on vocabulary and really trying to say the very specific thing that I want to say. And if I have to make that into a metaphor to get it across or find the right synonym for a word. Um, and I wrote these verses and I had these really heavy, cool verses that were very blunt, but also very complex in the way that I wrote them, which is what I wanted them to be. And I couldn't find the courses. I just couldn't do it. I didn't know where to go from there. I had like a Story and an explanation of what I was trying to say because sometimes I'll just map it out and just write, write, write on an idea on a word document. And uh, the first time I met Matt Hundley, and if you saw us at Whiskey Jam, Matt Hundley was the guy playing um, acoustic and fiddle yep. on our set, and that was our first write together. And I sat down playing the verses, like, I really like those, and um, we we finished the chorus and then. That song went like under the couch for a very, very long time. I played it maybe a couple of the Ray's Rowdy yeah, sure. writers' rounds, I think. Yeah. Um, but that was really it. You know, if I needed an extra song to play set, I knew it was cool because like the vocals were cool on it. But it just never, for some reason, I, it wasn't, it just never made the, the cut for some Maybe we were just playing too many rock shows. I don't know what it was, yeah. but it just came together. And then Chablis fell in love with that song. And I leaned on her a lot and, and you a lot and a lot of other people on this record to tell me what was good. And I just took their word for it and let these songs like touch people and see kind of how they did it. Because for me, I get so in my head about what I create that I'd probably never put anything out anymore because I seem to get more neurotic as I get older. So mm-hmm. she loved this song and I played it out more and more And then it just ended up coming to life. And it was one of the ones that when we did the takes on it, that by the second or third time we got everything dialed in and mixed right, it was okay, this is worth keeping. Yeah. You know? So that's how that one ended up making the record. And and, uh, now I enjoy playing it. And it's so strange that it sat on a shelf for probably three years and I never touched it.
1: Sometimes that happens then, man, especially depending when you write it and what's going on in your life and what happens after that. You yeah,
0: know. you just never, I mean, it, sometimes you just reconnect with these things. Yep. And that was the, like, the sentiment of like, how do I sit down with this batch of songs that I'm completely unfamiliar with musically and emotionally, because my life couldn't be more different than what these songs are, um, and just trying to reconnect with that emotion. It was yeah. weird, very strange it messed me up for like, I was probably a real pain in the ass to my family for a while <laughs> while I was trying to do, do Definitely that. Definitely to know? Chablis. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to be doing this
1: to make that happen. And then the next track was I Still Get Stoned. And when I heard that for the first time, I was like, that sounds like a Jackson Solo, right? Yeah, that was a sol- <laughs> that was a Solo, right? That was
0: a Solo, right? Um, the only other long hiatus where I've taken in my life um, and not written for a long time was when Dave passed away. And it was weird because that was the first time in my life where I had went through something really, really traumatizing and very difficult. I was 22 years old. I never lost someone that I was that close to. And um, it was very, it was rough because I was with him through all of the cancer stuff. And it was just really, really, really rough. And I didn't really know what to say. You know, I was all out of sorts. So it was about eight months of just not really writing, going to play gigs because I had bills to pay. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was pretty jaded. And, uh, you know, he, he was at every show that I played. So it was really weird for a long time. And um, I tried to come up with shit to say and just couldn't for the longest time. And then one day I was just out driving around and I, I just went to the cemetery, sat down, and that song, I just like 20 minutes. And then I were like 50, like that song gave me the confidence to write every song for like five years straight, you know, because it yes. was just like a very cathartic moment of, okay, it's it's time to figure out how do you move forward with all of these good things that this man has done for you. Yeah, You know, and that's like the hardest part of life. Like right now, we are all in this moment where we are all learning gratitude by the minute, yeah. Right. How lucky we really are, especially yeah. in America, right? I mean, yep. we live a fucking awesome life. Like it's amazing.
1: So many freedoms that when some are taken away temporarily, we go crazy.
0: Yeah, ones that like you wouldn't think if someone said to you, yeah, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal if I couldn't do that, you know, yeah. but it's it's uh it's hard. Yeah. I mean it, it it didn't it didn't dawn on me that for thirteen years Every weekend, at the very least, I had a show, one a week. And it's been three months. Whiskey DM was our last, was the last live performance that I played. It's weird. Yeah. So you're like chopping an arm off and like, okay. Yeah. What do we do now? You know?
1: Yeah. And and I'm like, the live streams are cool, but they're not the same. You know what I mean? They're just, Talking to a screen, it, it's like it's like if you're taking a drug and they give you something else to help you get off of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It has a little bit of what you're used mm-hmm. to, but it's not that full experience, you know? It's not even close. Yeah. It's, it's not, tough, man. Because
0: you don't... I think we're really realizing what being in the proximity of another human being and connecting with them non-verbally really... How much value that holds? For sure, um, yeah, man. Like, and I think I think it'll be a good thing long term because I think it's been so long since we've really been through some shit that hopefully we come out the other side of this and, and we're all have our eyes open, you yeah. know. Because I think music is music has become very dull. Um, art has almost been non-existent. You know, politics has become so crazy and and people just get more and more divided and know, i go to walmart now and people are a lot nicer at least i mean there's, there's always the one guy you know but yeah. i mean for the most Karen's part is
1: always there still but
0: karen yeah <laughs> freaking karen but yeah i mean it, it's just a weird it's a weird practice and gratitude that we're in you know and um a lot of these songs are kind of a, about that in a way yeah you know I th- it's the perfect i probably would have never put this record out if it weren't for coronavirus yeah
1: it's crazy timing for sure and i mean again i think there's value in music that you would think is too sad but and i think there's also some value in music that is like just popcorn you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. i think there's both like a good beer drinking song when it's summer and you can't really do all the stuff you're used to be able to
0: to do i think yeah. has some value now too you yeah, and know. I think I think that because we were drinking beer in a field for so long, yeah, and didn't have to go through, yeah, something like this, yeah, those songs that were good, and I have nothing against. I mean, you know what I'd pick if I've given the, the yep. opportunity, but the the sentiment that now we're grateful for that, mm-hmm. I think it's going to evolve things a little bit. I think it's going to evolve the way we look at things a little bit. I mean. When you and I met, I was totally anti-pop country, completely. And then over the years... You were anti-most mainstream
1: country, honestly.
0: Yeah, seriously. I mean, very much so. But you made me realize that it's okay to not only listen to Jason Isbell and... Eric Church's pop stuff. I mean, he kind of falls in the middle there. I could probably go even further, but you get what I mean. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I love Kit Moore. I freaking love Kit Moore, but I was only, it was like I was listening to Taylor Swift in my car. Yeah. With like a mask (laughs) on, so people didn't know who I was, because that's where I was, you know, I was very anti-pop country, but it, it kind of you—you made me realize that it's okay that it's okay to love all of these things yeah. equally, and it's also okay to write things like that. And like this record is me because I have this battle in my head where I'm constantly and shibli and I have this conversation probably eight times a week, and she probably gets super annoyed every time I bring it up. Of where am I going with this? Yeah, where am I going with this? Because I'm and you and I have even had this conversation where I'm at this like weird bottleneck situation where I could go or fork in the road, whatever you say, where I could go like full Americana or I could go full mainstream. And like my favorite artists of all time, when I think about it, like Bruce Springsteen and Eric Church and Wade Bowen and you know, who even else I could mention. I mean, Kip Moore even does this to some extent. Uh, Jason Isbell has moments where he's done this, but he's more on the other side of it where, you can kind of do both things. Yeah, Dirk's does that
1: really, really well.
0: Yeah, Dirk's does it super well, but mm-hmm. it's this weird battle between being wanted to be the really cool obscure guy and uh, and then having the adoration of mainstream success. Like about John Mayer, man. Well, I he's mean, the he's a freaking the mastered it. Yeah, mastered it. Yep. You know, and it's I think
1: it, they almost use it like a fishing lure, right? You throw that shiny thing out in the water. Mm-hmm. And that's what catches the lip. Yep. And once you got them in the boat, they're in
0: the boat, you know? (laughs) Well, he talks about that all the time, how he'd leave breadcrumbs out with like, waiting on the world to change and your body's a wonderland to get them to listen to In Your Atmosphere and stop this train, which are some of my favorite songs of Mm -hmm. all time. But, He's, he's 100% right. And how do you do that? And I don't want to spend too much time trying to calculate it. I just kind of want to be okay with whatever happens. Yeah, Yeah. if you get one, if you catch a song,
1: Yeah. That, if it bestows itself upon you and it lives maybe 20% outside of your realm of normal, that's fine. Yeah,
0: because my thing is I don't want to try to calculate this right. thing, but I also want to be able to accept myself and my music in that moment depending on whatever happens yep. and just know just be able to find the right tools for the songs that we we create to make those things move forward yep. and this record is completely different than anything i thought i would ever do and there's a lot there's some of these songs you know like caught a buzz is very mainstream yeah you know yeah and that's the um What's coming up soon? What what should I say is next? What should I say? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what should I say never got really anything done with it because it was, it was written in about the same time that I wrote little past crazy and it it didn't really have any competition. (laughs) You know what I mean? Little past crazy was the song at that moment in time, given who I co-wrote it with and how good of a song that it was. Like I wrote it with Rob Crosby and Farron Rachel's and, I could have not even been in that room and it would have turned out amazing. So they they did such a good job and it came together so well that this is one of those songs I wrote in that moment and it was just kind of, I don't know. I peeked that one out one random morning and then I, I had the, the verses and the chorus and the whole song was pretty much done but it just felt like it was missing something, like it needed that bridge. And I, was, I had just written Music Row with Larry Alderman. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty successful hit songwriter, and he was a very good mentor. Him and Bernie Nelson were very good mentors of mine because they just really got where oh, I was right. coming from yep. at, as the outlaw Americana guy, but also just trying to navigate my way through the industry, and they really liked what I did, and it was always nice to know that I had two super successful writers that would sit down and write with me anytime and write any type of song that I wanted to write. And they weren't gonna buck me on it, but they were gonna make the song that it best could be. So we just wrote Music row, and he was in love with that song and I still am. And I said, I I got this, he's like, you got anything else? Like, you know, anything that you like started or want to work on or whatever? Just like we had some extra time and I was like, let me just look through my catalog. And I I had always loved the, you know, that song. I just thought it was this simple way of like, everyone's been in that moment where they bumped into somebody that they probably really didn't want to bump into. Yep and didn't handle the situation they wanted to handle the way they really like, what their soul really wanted to say, but in that moment, like, you know, what are you gonna say to someone in like a Chick-fil-A? You know, if you just bump into this person, you know? Can I get some of that sauce? Yeah, I need more Chick-fil-A sauce, (laughs) some nuggets. Uh, But you know, you get what I mean, like you just, you don't, I'm sure it's happened to you. It's happened to probably everybody out there where you bump into this person, whether it be an ex or an old friend or something that just it didn't turn out very good and you don't know how to handle that situation and it's like yep. you kind of want to call the person out you kind of want to bond with them again you kind of are but you're it's so you're so caught off guard that all you do is bullshit your way through it yeah. <laughs> you know and he you know he loved it and then we just wrote that that bridge together so it was almost a solo write but Larry really made I think that ties it all together you know that bridge that phases and stages and passing time you know was it all just in my mind because but as you get further away from these things like how distorted do they get Yeah, you know
1: (laughs) oh for sure everything does from moment one and just further and further as it gets further away
0: it starts to make you wonder how true history is you know
1: before it was written down immediately very untrue yes (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly But yeah, man, I think that's a, a great track too. And then the next one's caught a buzz that we talked
0: about. Yeah, that's um, that was also written around the time "Little Past Crazy" was written. But it was like the um, on the other side of it because "Little Past Crazy" is about this time when I had this old Dodge on and I drove around the country and was just kind of trying to heal and figure out where I was, what I was doing, who I was, all that kind of shit. And uh, caught a buzz was about the time where I, I kind of ended up in Key West. Yeah. I'm not really sure how or why. And uh, <laughs> it's just this, you know, that's when I just started to have fun, you know. And ever since that time, I just try my best to just have fun, yeah, and be good to people, you know. Like, don't hurt anybody. Have a good time, you know what I mean. And just try to make the world a better place. Just. You know have a good time so that was kind of the upside of that where it's like kind of this tongue in cheek funny thing and that moment of this thing i was trying to heal from and trying to move past and you know it's a true story like i really <laughs> i really ended up in Kiwis and got super drunk and and uh <laughs> with my with my cousin and we just we had the, the best time and it was really you know in that moment i can't remember what it was that inspired it i don't know if it was something my mom said or Something just made me go like, "Yeah, I caught a buzz that you can't kill," and that like, boom! I wrote that down. I wrote it down immediately. I was totally wasted, and I'm like, "This line is genius." And I probably have a thousand of those in my phone, and 999 of them are real bad <laughs> because you're you messed up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you ever have that drunk million dollar idea that's really like nobody really wants a you know, you know, a tungsten carbide note toenail clipper nobody (laughs) needs that you know yep and that's kind of where that one came from i sat down with mandy mcmillan um a couple months later the day before i wrote little past crazy actually and we sat down and um i told her the story she loved the story and i loved the line so we just started like i was like i've always kind of really loved jimmy buffett yeah my dad was one of my first concert ever was was charlie daniels and then it was jimmy buffett my dad took me to jimmy buffett well my first was actually tracy bird but being old enough to really remember the show was charlie daniels and then jimmy buffett and i've always loved jimmy buffett and i don't know anyone else that really loves jimmy buffett as much as i do in my generation yeah but i i love him i a couple days ago i have a whole jimmy buffett playlist on my phone of all my favorite jimmy buffett songs and it's something my dad and i really bonded over um And I was like, why don't we just write like a beachy Jimmy Buffett song? Like I love the Chesney beach records too. I don't know what, I love Chesney too, by the way. Um, Things I would have never said in our early podcasts, but uh, (laughs) Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to write this beach tune and I thought, well, this is kind of the perfect opportunity because it's the sentiment of something that is really true. And it's not this calculated formulated song. And it was a real realization that I had that actually meant something to me. As dumb as the line sounds, but it's it it's real. Like you can actually connect with that stupid line that says, "I I caught a buzz that you can't kill." You letting these people drag you down all the time, and you finally let go of that and just start to live your own life. Not fucking worry about it. Just do your thing, man. It's cool, you know. And that's this thing that a a switch just flipped. Yeah, and that's when that one was just all of the the ideas of it came together and Mandy was probably the perfect person to write that with cuz she was kind of more of a mainstream country artist and i really just didn't understand that at the time you know but i was just trying to write good songs whatever they were and then because it was so poppy i never played it i never played yeah. it yeah you played that for me a few times and i was like yeah dude like that sounds like a
1: poppy eric church song you yeah i'm yeah. like it has that like kind of churchy vibe to it a little bit you know yeah. on like the the lighter side of eric you yeah, know what i mean exactly that he has too you know
0: and i eric church is definitely not to like pun on your term but one of my top five favorite artists Yeah, I mean, seriously five. i i love him i love eric church i've literally just a playlist of eric church shit on my phone and i'll do that for we- not days but weeks on end where i'll just listen to eric church because he's mastered that same thing of obscurity and pop and i love what he does Mr. Misunderstood is in my top 3 favorite songs of all time because that song literally changed my life it changed my life so and it still I've listened to that song a million times I've played it a million times but every time I play it especially like 8 man jam last year and the moment that I heard it I mean it brings me to tears because this person who I really admire, who I may never meet, may never get to work with, but we have this common ground of growing up this misunderstood, nerdy kid, sat in the back of the class. I had some really good friends, but I was by no means popular, pretty bullied. And I just wanted to go home and play my guitar and listen to records. And the records I was listening to, nobody was listening into. nobody. And, you know, I mean, the that whole song just hit me so hard that it was like okay somebody out there who really means something to you yeah. who really inspired you in your life gets it you know when he we were when we went to um, see him over here yeah and uh, at the and PPG the, yeah the PPG whatever they call it now whatever they call it, the the arena.
1: The Penguins Arena.
0: Yeah. I didn't really calculate how much. I had never been to one of his shows since that song had come out. And I used to go to Eric Church shows all the time. But when you're a gigging musician, you don't really get to see the people you like a lot. Like, yeah. Go, oh, yeah, you know this band's like, no, I don't. Because it's I'm Friday and Saturday yeah, when I'm, I'm working. Playing. Yeah, I'm yeah. working. Um, I didn't really calculate how hard that was going to hit me, him saying, I understand. And there I am in the middle of however many thousand people. I'm standing next to Frank Vera, by the way who is in a similar situation to me Mm -hmm. and I'm weeping like I'm weeping these joy, this joyous, these joyous tears. You know, my dad's there, my brother's there and I can't stop crying. I'm a grown ass man, (laughs) you know? And it was like the coolest moment and that was our music. Yeah. I mean, those, those moments are, are what, what shape us as people that love music and, and the moments that we should really, you know focus on you know not just the let's have a beer and sit on the back of a truck which i love those songs too you know they're great yeah. he has songs like that too yeah yeah <laughs> but that's my point is, yep. is he he mastered that and it's yep. like i love drinking my hand we played it for years it mm-hmm. was one of the top covers i enjoyed to play mm-hmm. um but it's not what really moved me but it kept me in that wheelhouse yep you know and it yeah, kept that, him that caught so many other people and took them to the other stuff,
1: mm-hmm. right? And I think that's like you said it's almost like it seems almost calculated even
0: though it's probably not, you know. Well, that's what I love about him cuz nothing I've never thought he calculated this. Yeah. I think maybe he wrote 40 songs and the label said, "Yeah, you got to do this one as a single." But I'm okay with that. Maybe on the early records. I don't think they say no, anything No, they don't say anything now, but, I'm, but you know what I mean. Yeah, you get what yeah. I'm saying. Like I don't think he does it now. I mean, yeah. and, and I don't care if he does or doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm indifferent to the fact of that, like, yeah, some songs have to be the radio the radio song and some songs are the album cut. Yep. You know?
1: Yep.
0: Yeah, man. And then the next song off the record
1: is Demons, which is Solar, right? Yeah.
0: Um, that was... uh. That was a weird one, Uh, and I don't want to get into too many of the details because this one is so close to something that I'm still dealing with, Um, but I had a friend in Nashville who was very pivotal in just kind of talking me through stuff, and they were just always there, you know, writing with me, going going to, to lunch and dinner, and just really... Letting me pour stuff out, you know, um, and the confusion that I was going through, being a newly signed writer, and being a, a, a developing artist, and not really knowing what was going on, and becoming an adult, like really becoming an adult, and dealing with trauma that I've dealt with for a long time, and they, this person just told me that you can't, you can't fight these people's demons anymore. This is not your responsibility. This is just not something that you need to carry around. I'm not saying you need to write anybody off. I'm not saying you need to ban any from your, from your life, but like you have to draw a line in the sand and start living your own life without worrying what these other people are thinking, what they're saying to you, and how they're handling these situations that just really aren't fair. You know, They're, they're taking these things that they have issues with and projecting it onto you. And I think everybody deals with that everybody has someone or something in their life that has caused them to become neurotic or, you know, narcissism affects everybody in some way or another. And I've dealt with it for a long time. And it was just something that, yeah, I got to quit doing this shit because it's really stifling my ability as a human being and my happiness, you know. And I saw a lot of friends going through similar shit. You know, I just felt like writing this song would be something that would, would help me through it and then I didn't play it at all because it was really freaking hard to go out <laughs> and say, Hey, listen to this one. Yeah. Here we go on another roller coaster of emotions. And I played it like one time. And that one time was was crazy. Like the whole bar got dead silent. And I shied away from it. I really shied away from it. It was because it was so hard to get through and yeah. think about. And man this is heavy yeah and, yeah it's
1: crazy when you write stuff sometimes too like th- that are about the moment that you're in or a moment that you were in because every time you play that song you revisit it so like i saw miranda lambert play and it was after her and blake broke up and she was so emotional you yeah know, playing songs that she's played for years and mm-hmm. never really thought too much about but they have a totally different meaning now that 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 situation that you're in isn't the situation you're in anymore you know yeah Yeah. I mean there's times and places when things make sense and times and places when things are needed mm -hmm. and times and places where they
0: hurt yeah you know yep and sometimes they hurt yeah and this whole record hurts it really does but I, I think I think I've realized like not to like be full on arrogant about it but I think it's maybe something all writers and all artists should think about is We have a very specific responsibility to say these things to people that need to hear them. And I think it's very important that we pay attention to that. I think it's very important that not that we need to write off all the other fun stuff, but there's a time and a place to really say what you think and what, what you're feeling. Because whether it's the masses that agree with you or 10% or less, Somebody out there needs to hear it, and if I'm even capable of finding one person that needs to hear that as badly as I needed to hear "Mister Misunderstood," or you know, uh, relatively easy, or like any of these, you know, you know, "The 3:59 a.m." by John Morland, like those those songs, I really needed to hear in my life. Like it, it just made things make sense to me, and they saved me in a way. Why the hell am I not playing that shit?
1: Yeah, and it's hard too because we've become a single driven. Feeding the algorithm. and Exactly. You're building a single so that it gets the most press and play it can, right? Yeah. We've lost some of those songs that people got a quote put on their wall of. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the song that obviously isn't a single to radio, but the value that it has for someone can be 10 times as much as the song you put on the
0: radio. Yeah. yeah, and I because I was thinking about and I thought about like a question I wanted to ask you that maybe I'll I'll just ask now because it's you know it's it's relative but what songs like that to you are the ones that you wish had more time in the sun you know like what are what are some that you like for me like Gabley Evelyn uh, John Moreland, three fifty nine a.m. Yeah. you know like what what ones are those to you.
1: Dude, I mean, literally anything off Isobel Southeastern, yeah, right? That like, whole record, yeah. So different I, days, yeah, some. dude. When I when I saw him play for the first time, it was after Southeastern was released, and he played almost that entire set, mm-hmm. and literally the crowd was silent for most of the show, and I was like, wow, yeah, you know, just it just takes you to a different time in a different place, and then stuff like Turnpike, right, like. The stuff that just really makes you think when mm-hmm. you're listening to it, yeah, you know, um, there's so many things, but the the stuff that's really been game changing for me and has kind of like slanted my view on country music has been like southeastern and it's been early Turnpike albums where I'm like, yeah. what the fuck is this? Yeah, and right? I started
0: to think like think about those records. And yeah. like how hard was it for them to? to play those live yeah, over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And specifically, like, I feel like Isbel
1: lives for that crap, right? Like, I feel like, I feel like he likes being in the dark, but I don't think Evan does.
0: Well, Chris and I have had that conversation about what's it like to be in Jason Isbel, Isbel's position where he constantly re-ups the game. Constantly of this really cathartic deep sense of writing that can't be easy to talk about all the time like he talks about the hardest shit that he goes through all the time um and they're not even directly connected like the song's not totally about this or totally about that and writing about himself but they're it's sprinkled through all these songs like and he's known as the guy. Like he is known. If you're I mean, if you're not a Jason Isbell fan, like I apologize, you got to you got to get into it and listen. But the, Jason Isbell, whether you listen to him or not, is known from my perspective and every songwriter I know as the guy. He's known as the best songwriter of our generation and especially one that's touring and playing all his own stuff. He's known as the guy. How do you deal with that pressure? Well, he's total package, right? Yeah. Like, he's an elite
1: level guitarist yeah he's an elite end. level yeah. songwriter mm-hmm. he's an elite level performer stage yeah. performer right like yep so if you're talking about everything he has all of those pieces the mainstream people like him and so do the people that don't like mainstream at all you know that's yeah. a hard line to tow yep right guys like him and guys like eric church are a few of the dudes that ha- can tow that kind of line Yep. right it's really tough to get people that are really into the artsy side of it mm-hmm. And are really into the mainstream side of it And have respect from both of them Yeah Right And th- that has to be tough man And it's, it's one of those things where it's like it, As popular as you will get It's probably not as popular as you should be Right <laughs> like,
0: Right Even yeah. though
1: you've won multiple Grammys And like you're well respected and known as If not the best One of probably I don't think you could argue with a top 20 songwriter In his generation Right. Like you, I don't no, even think that's arguable. Right? Not
0: even close. Right. You no, know? so, I mean,
1: like if you don't say number one, totally fine. I understand. Everybody has yeah. their own opinions. Right. But like if you say not top 20, you're just being silly. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Like, you're yeah. just being silly. And so I feel like when you have an artist like that that can toe both sides, that's when you really see power. Right. Yeah. When you have a guy that like, Everyone from the underground is like, wow, I got, I drew inspiration from that. Mm-hmm. And then also the people on the other, complete other side of it are like, oh yeah, game, respect, game.
0: You know what I mean? Like, I've never turned someone on to Jason Isbolt that didn't eventually go, okay. holy shit, yeah, I get it. Chablis was one of the funniest ones because. <laughs> she even said this the other day, like, why is everything so sad when we're in the car together? It's like, to me, it, that's not what it is. Like I'm analyzing stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's yeah. just a different, a different thing, but I, I get it. Um, and I've thought about it a lot, but you know, I, I started playing Isabel songs for her, and she, she liked the stuff that we play a lot, like Cumberland Gap and stuff like that. And she used to pick on me so hardcore. It was so funny. And then one day, I don't remember if it was a gig or we were going out or whatever, but I came home and she was getting ready. And, uh, She didn't hear me come inside the house. And she had her phone like blaring music. And she was just shuffling Jason Isbell on YouTube. And I peek around the corner and she's like curling her hair. She goes, Oh shit. (laughs) Uh, 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 I totally get it now. This is amazing. (laughs) This is the best stuff ever. You know, it was the funniest moment. Because it does. I tell everyone that I've turned on to Isbell or any of these songwriters that are similar, give it some time. Throw, pick a couple that you like that you the, well, maybe there's some sounding in your playlist. stuff right yeah, like throw in your playlist yeah let it live with you for a little bit and then see what
1: happens you know what i mean so there's, there's stuff on his records that you're like yep this is a single you know what yeah, i mean like yeah yes i could hear this on radio you know what i mean yeah. it's not on every record there's not on every single record but there definitely are are things where you're like yep that sounds like what specifically on southeastern even some of the stuff that is the most deep and dark, it'll have, like, a poppy arrangement. And guys like Rustin Kelly does that really well, too. Yeah. Right? Like, he'll talk yeah. about the darkest stuff in the world, but almost in a pop song. Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's songs that you think of. If we were in a different decade, and the way music was delivered were different, these would be platinum records that yeah. lived forever.
1: And I think in the, in the history of the world, they will. Right? Like, time... Time
0: sets and you see that stuff. It shakes out. The, at the beauty end. of it is, the songs that may have not had their time in the sun when they came out still have a chance. Yeah. Right. Like. Because everybody can listen to everything forever now. Yeah. Like Gabley Evelyn. Like Gabley, good friend. Love the guy to death. One of the most talented people. In my realm of what I like, like he's yeah. just amazing. I remember and he couldn't ask I, for a sweeter, dude. You know, yeah. I remember when I said that to you the first time. I was like, I think you're really gonna
1: like this, dude. Oh,
0: I mean, <laughs> I have probably ten songs that I have to listen to either on a daily or like every three days. Yeah. They're just there. That's one of them. Yeah, and I, and his new record is just as good. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. But I, there's something about a song that gets you on board with an artist yeah. that keeps you coming back to it, mm-hmm. and. I don't know if there's, like, really a situation or anything. I mean, we named our dog after that song. Like, that's how much that song moved me. You know, I I just, it's it's one of the most beautiful compositions I've heard. I I love the way he performs it. I I love songs that I can't cover even close to the way an artist does it. Because there's something in them that went through something that you just can't even touch. Yeah. You know can we pause for one second
1: yeah
0: so dumb and we're back sweet yeah
1: yeah sweet. man so let's hit on letter to the whiskey which is uh,
0: the last original off the project that one um, originally probably wouldn't have been something that I would have talked about when I first wrote it um, you know, I think everybody probably has, and I'm like, I'm literally holding a beer and I talk about this. So let's just preface this with the fact that I don't think everyone needs to stop drinking. I think some people need to start drinking. I feel like I heard that from somebody before, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, my stepdad, who was was super pivotal in raising me, um, had a, a, a problem, you know, and, uh, he, he, he you know, took me hunting and fishing and, and uh was a very big part of my life and um he's the, the, the biological father of my of my little brother Isaiah and um very, very big part of my life. And some shit went down and, and uh because of alcohol and uh you know my, my mother and, and him got divorced. I haven't fucking heard from the guy. You know? And even as a 27-year-old dude where you think like a lot of this record is being able to let go of stuff, that's a hard thing to make sense of. And I think about my mom and my little brother and my older brother and our family, you know. And I think about what impact, positive and negative, did he have on our lives. Mm -hmm. And then for that to just come to a hard stop, because of this very trivial thing, like like I like drinking, but if you know if Chablis came to me and was like, Hey, this has gotta stop it, no problem. Like no problem. Like I, I I smoked for a while. Like I got a patch on right now, but like I quit smoking because it was fucking with my voice. It was you know, that didn't even really have that much of an effect on my like family life, right? Yeah. No problem. It's really hard to quit smoking but for me it was just like boom we're done we're done here this is this is affecting a part of my life that is too important to me it's way more important to me than than having a cigarette and i'm not saying i'll never have a cigarette again I, you know i i enjoy one every now and then i love you and i smoke cigars together i love cigars i never stop smoking cigars but i can regulate it but life got stressful so i became a habitual smoker for an ex, for a period of time and it affected me so let the whiskey is just about you know alcoholism and and the effect it has on the people around it and how it affected me and how I didn't say I'm never drinking because of this but I am going to keep an eye on it yeah. I'm going to be smart about it you know should be sometimes give me a hard time because I don't get drunk enough well the, these are the reasons why you know maybe I should open up the gates a little bit more maybe I shouldn't I don't know I probably never will just because of this sort of thing mm-hmm. but for me it's it's um you, you and i've had a lot of conversations because we've both been through spells We're like yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna dial it back for a little while yep. you know what i mean and if you can't dial it back for a little while you should probably turn it off yep you know what i mean and and it was it was just you know the all the shit that happened because of that was just you know i'm, I'm still so angry about it and it's something i need to figure out how to work through but i'm not making that phone call you know what I mean that's not my I don't feel like that's my problem to solve because I'll eventually move on like I'll eventually in, in in most senses I have but as a person that you know I sound pretty cocky and you know a lot of people take take me that way and maybe it's maybe it's the way and maybe it's not but like for me I'm so neurotic about stuff like if I hurt someone's feelings or I think I might have said something that pissed somebody off, like it eats me alive. So I can't wrap my brain around this kind of shit. You know what I mean? I just, I I can't, I don't know what it is. And that, that was when we were all going through that. Um, I just remember thinking like, I don't expect anything from anyone in the sense of the quality of how you handle something. But at least try, you know what I mean. Like, hey, dude, shit goes sideways. You know, you, everybody makes mistakes. But at least try to try to like move forward. Try to become better. Like that's the way you know that's that's the way I try to do every day. Like, let's do better than we did yesterday, even if it's like at a half of a percent or less. That shit compounds. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and, and for me, like you know my attitude and our friendship, my relationships have all had their ups and downs. Right. But like every day I'm thinking like, how can I be, there's been times where I'm like, I probably shouldn't have fucking said that to Nick. You know what I mean? And then I called you like, Hey dude, I'm I'm sorry. Like I, I didn't mean that like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's really what the song was about. The big picture of like my realization of seeing how that affected me when someone else just, totally negated the ability to have any self-awareness whatsoever and make sure that i didn't do that ever ever you know maybe to the opposite extreme you know what i mean and that might not be a good place to start from it's probably somewhere in the middle but still you know what i mean like it was a very hard thing it's a very hard thing for me to talk about and put into words because i've really only talked to it you know shibli my mom my brothers uh and obviously in the song and and that was that one was so close to getting cut from the record so close that literally the last day we were mixing johnny said to me do you write that I said yeah he said who's right with I said by myself he said dude i don't know If it's the recording or the catharticism of the song or what it is, but that that needs to be on there. You know. This whole record has mistakes and little weird quirks in it because of the way we recorded it. And I was okay with that. But like, you know, so I it was really easy, which maybe I probably you know, was really easy to tell myself, hey, maybe not that one. You know what I mean? Because of that like sloppiness in a way. But that's the way soul records were recorded. And it was more about the sentiment than anything. So that was that was hard for me to really sign off on. And I finally just said, All right, dude, you know, I had to give him enough veto power to say, Yeah, dude, like seriously, just do it. You know. And that he was really pivotal in that because I probably would have never I'd have buried that one and never talked about it. And never and the only other person outside of you and Shipley and Chris that have heard this record is my my older brother Jeremy and he said he he loved the record and he said you know i think i listened to letter to the whiskey like 80 times or some ridiculous exaggeration yeah. but he's like i can't stop listening to this cuz i it, you know and maybe it was synonymous to our situation maybe it's not but i think that i think it was important for me to at least get that out there yeah it's weird <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about how you got to
1: the two I guess are they like pre-release covers. Is that how?
0: Yeah, they're pre-release covers that were recorded under the umbrella of this record. And part of it was when I was in the studio, let me crack this. Um, when I was in the studio, I, I wanted to do, uh, my main goal was to make sure that where I was mentally was the right place. Mm-hmm. and sometimes the easiest way for me to get there is to just play a song I like The similar. They're like, I love the song. It gets me into the, the lyrical music side of it. I don't have to think about it a lot. I've played it a thousand times. I've listened to it a thousand times. It doesn't matter. So there were, like, if we went into the B sides of this, we'd be here all freaking day of just songs that I did, you know, like flagship from Jason Isbell and Atlantic city from Bruce Springsteen, you know, you don't care enough for me to cry. Like songs like that, that were cathartic and deep and really meant a lot to me that were somehow similar in the sentiment that would bring me into this place to be able to do the ones that I wrote. Cause it's really hard to look at songs that you wrote objectively and get back into the moment of where you wrote it from. Because usually by the time you write it, that moment's gone and it's hard. The best songs I've written, Alabama, Prove Me Wrong, you know, Letter to the Whiskey, th- these songs, the best ones are the ones that I can get on stage and play and remember that and play it. Um, so Colder Weather has probably been one of my favorite songs since the day that I heard it. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's really not something you would say, that's probably one of Jackson's favorite songs. Like you, you know, you could pick probably 10 of them Without me and you and I have a conversation because you know the way I write, you know what I kind of what I listen to, but that probably would have never even made it into your realm of guesses. I love that song.
1: Yeah, when you say it though, I understand it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when yeah. you say, "Oh, that's one of my favorite songs," I'm like, that makes sense because mm-hmm. lyrically, it's super. It's very introspective, right? The like, imagery is perfect. Perfect imagery. It's a it's an incredibly well written song, and Zach. The way he performs it kills it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yep. He has one of those voices that's just like, can almost do no wrong, you know? Yeah. He's one of those guys who can sing anything. hmm But, yeah, and and that's, for me, that's a very touching song, too. Zach Brown was one of the things that kind of brought me back into the country music world after being more in, like, the rock and stuff for a while. Yeah. Um, so that album, when it came out... And that song too, in particular, just really hit home.
0: I remember where I was when I heard that one. Yeah. There's not a lot of songs that you can say that about. Yeah. You know, I remember, I remember being in the car, and that song, on the CD that I bought of theirs, coming on, and it hit me like a freight train. You know, I mean, I just remember, it was, and it just stuck a song that doesn't sound
1: like a single but it does sound like a single you know what I mean? if that makes sense like
0: well it is a single in the sense of that everybody knows zach brown colder weather
1: yeah exactly
0: the, yep. if even if you know any of the number ones you probably know zach brown colder weather yeah and for me it was like it was one of the songs that if i had a rough day or i was you know going home and practicing or doing a live stream or whatever it was one of my go-tos like that desperado and stuff like that i mean I just loved you know i would sit down at the piano and play it sit down on my guitar and play it and it just it, it would just always make me go ah you know what i mean it was yeah. like taking the sip of a cold beer yep. you know after a long day <laughs> like it was just that relief of something in that song just always did it and when i was just sitting there and the, the guitar was already in in the the tuning that i like to play that song in got two my guitar all kinds of wacky shit and uh i was like yeah yep I just sat, I think it was a one take on that one. It was just okay, and then Danita came and sang the harmonies on it. We threw some some keys on it, and it was just I don't know. It was just weird, you know. And a weird people probably like oh that's that's a great marketing idea. And I I cut a lot of covers on this project when we first recorded the twenty five or forty however many it was. I don't even know tracks. That was just a song that I absolutely... I I, I told myself going in, if I was going to cut any covers on it, it had to be covers that I absolutely loved that I wouldn't mind somebody asking me to play a thousand times. Yeah. You know, what are those songs? What are they? That's a freaking hard question to ask yourself <laughs> because if you're you going to play it every day for five years or whatever it is, it's difficult, you know? Yep, for sure.
1: Yeah. It's... uh. It's
0: a powerful song. I actually
1: remember the moment I heard it, too. Zach actually had that album on sh- available to stream before you could buy it. It was just on his website. Okay. And so when that album came out, I streamed it online, which was like a thing that you really didn't do at that time, Yeah. really. You know? <laughs> you streamed it online before you bought it. And uh, yeah, I remember first time hearing that song, man. That whole album's fantastic. But yeah, that song just hits you different, man.
0: Yeah. I, it was weird. I went fishing. Well, I went, my uh, a friend of mine passed away. That was uh, I used to fish with him every summer when I was a kid. An older dude from he, he was from California, but he, he had a condo at the same place my grandparents lived in Florida. And every summer, I was a kid, I'd go down there and fish with with this guy and just listen to good records and fish with him. And uh, he passed away um, last year, and then they they had the funeral in Florida, but it took a while. So we we went down there and we went fishing. And the fishing captain the week before i can't remember the dude's name for the life of me the songwriter but the guy that wrote that song was on went fishing with that our fishing captain the week before and uh uh, levi lowry i I think it was levi it was levi and uh
1: dude it's the the guy that has a hit with uh with luke combs oh crap let's look this up
0: let's look it up but anyway one of them went fishing with our fishing guide yeah and then that song kind of came back to life for me Cause mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, that is literally one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, and Wyatt Duret,
1: right? Isn't that who it is? What's that? Wyatt Duret. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it was Levi or Wyatt. He couldn't
0: remember the dudes and Coy Bowles,
1: who is one of the guys from Zach's band.
0: Okay, so it was one of the, it was either Levi or Wyatt then that, yeah. that had went fishing. They have a band called
1: uh, Tuesday. Tuesday's wine. God, why can't I think of this? <laughs> Yesterday's wine. Okay. Yeah, that's it. It's Levi Lowry and White Durrett. Okay. They have like a duo kind of thing. It's
0: cool. Ooh. It's, it's, I get to see it last year. at. Uh... Maybe they... I don't remember the whole story. I just remember him saying, yeah, the dude that wrote Colder Weather. And I was like, oh, okay, you have my attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and the guy didn't seem like a dude that would make that up. Yeah. And by the way, like someone says, yeah, the dude that wrote Colder Weather. Like, No one's going to come up with Colder Weather as a song that somebody on your boat wrote. Yeah. you know what i mean like it's not like Cruz or something like right. you know what i mean like it's not something <laughs> yeah that that dude may have never even heard that song before that or you know what i mean or if yep. he did it, it's just not something that would be easily like crafted to lie yeah. about what, yeah. you know why, what I mean? why so, would you pick that randomness yeah, and it was yeah. just like this like serendipitous thing where i was trying to figure out how to do a project because i knew the alabama project's gonna take a while rightfully so it needs to be perfect i'm sorry to everyone that wants to hear prove me wrong in alabama <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry we're not there yet we're getting there got some meetings tomorrow <laughs> it's coming i promise but uh it, it, it might come two months from now we don't know but it, it's gonna happen and those songs have a different package with them and it's just not quite the right time yet but uh and i appreciate all the supportive people that want to hear them but you know <laughs> And then uh, what was the in the next go the last song? The wolf, the wolf. Yeah, I've yeah. always really loved Mumford and Sons. I know that's a crazy. People are like Jackson likes Mumford and Sons, but it's like yeah, I think it makes sense in my head, honestly. Yeah, I love folk rock. I love it. Yeah. absolutely freaking love it. Uh, I'm Irish. Like I'm deeply blooded deep blooded scottish irish like it's most of my genetic makeup and i've always it's this is a funny thing to even visit but i didn't even really think about it this at the moment maybe it's something that is deeply rooted in my genetics of um being irish and that celtic feeling of music and when i was in college for the very brief time that i was in college uh i played in an irish folk band hmm. and you can hear that because i played acoustic in this irish folk band and it was very percussive, and I always love those like percussive guitar parts of where like this rhythm, and you can hear it through all of my stuff where like the rhythm guitar is like the, it's almost part of the percussion section. Like prove me wrong, is super Celtic. I've always loved that shit. I've I, I get obsessed with it. I just love those types of very percussive guitar parts where it almost drives the whole band. when um, was as acoustic artist for so long that you had to figure out how to make the guitar sound big and make it drive an entire song. And I, I fell in love with Mumford and Suds at a very young age when when they started making records. And it's still shit that I listen to all the time. I love everything they've ever done, all of it. I can't think of a song that they've done that I don't, like, haven't nodded my head to, you know? Um, the Wolf was cool because I really love rock music. Mm-hmm. And I really love Celtic sensibility. And I really love the way that Marcus Mumford wrote those lyrics. And I and I'm a tenor. So like anytime I get the the mo like the opportunity to just sing my balls off, good or bad, I just love it. I think it's like, you know, a lot of my songs, it's like, holy shit, like he's really pushing this the limit here vocally. But I think that's a really, you know, that's fun for me. That's amazing. Yeah. I I love it going on stage. If like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to hit that note tonight. I love that, you know? And the wolf, we started doing it live. The first time we did it live was Randy Rogers last year. I don't think you were there. But um it was the first time we ever did it live for like three thousand people. opening for Randy Rogers and Parker McCollum. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do this or not. Like (laughs) we're gonna just see what the fuck happens. Like it was like really, really, really rough and hard to pull off. And uh I just we played it all summer and I thought, well, I love this song. And it's a great way to warm up my voice in the studio. And if it turns out, let's throw it on there, let's see what yeah. happens. Because we play it live, so it's cool. Yeah. Like to people who are used this. to playing it, and then yeah, they'll get to hear it live. And the way we did it on the record is completely different than the way we play it live. So I think that's kind of cool too. Like, hey, like I, I look at this song, I, I love the way Mumford and Sons do it, and that's kind of more the way that we do it live. But the way that it is on this record is what I thought that they could have done it if they didn't do it that way not that i think they did it wrong by any means whatsoever yeah i just felt like there was some sentiment in there that they could have done it a little bit differently like it's more of a love ballad on my record which fits that record yeah. it's more of a rock song on their record um it's more of a rock song when we do live we did it when we opened for kyle, kyle daniel and he came up he's like dude you sent your balls off I'm like yeah. well it's really easy for me to connect with that song. So it puts me in that moment of being able to like, get the confidence to sing all of these other songs. So those are the covers that I picked. And then, you know, that one was, I just, I don't know. I've always freaking loved that tune. My little brother texted me today when it dropped and he's like, "I love that single, like that you just dropped." And I'm like, "That's a Mumford and Sons song." He's like, "I didn't even think about that." Like <laughs> because it's so different than the way that they did it. Yeah, that, well, and that record was different to begin with than yeah, the stuff that they like did before that. Yeah. Yeah, a turning point for them. For sure. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was amazing and I remember like some Mumford and Sons fans being like a little bit pissed off. And I was like, "I don't understand. You know, it's different than what they've done in the past, but it's still it's really good. Yeah, they just plugged into some boxes. Yeah, and turned it up like yep. that's the only difference. It's not yep. like a folk bluegrassy band anymore. Like it's yeah. just, they just cranked it to eleven, and went to town on it. You know. Yep. At some point, it's like uh, so, some point you're like, all right, I'm tired of playing that stuff. We're gonna rock the f out for a while. Well, yeah. <laughs> I promise to everyone that gets too sad from this record, the next one's a rock record. Like yeah. I'm writing some some real. I mean, it's a full band. My whole band is going to be on it. We're going to turn it up. You know, And I love that. But I also feel like there's a very big part of me. I would have never done this record if it weren't for coronavirus. And I would probably have regretted it because there's a lot of cathartic, deep songs as a singer songwriter that I felt I needed to do. I don't even know what genre this shit is. I don't even know. I didn't even try to.
1: That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, It's definitely music. Yeah, for sure. Maybe, you know, but I mean, (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. I I, I love playing cover songs. I freaking love it. And it's really hard to convince yourself as someone who writes, not just writes music, but writes music by themselves, makes a living, had a publishing deal, does these things as someone who's synonymously known as a songwriter. Like people know me as a songwriter before a guitar player, before a singer, before a performer. They know me as a songwriter to say, I'm going to play someone else's stuff and I'm going to put it on my record. Like I'm very picky. You know, I mean, you and I have talked about set list covers before for these three hour nights that we still have to do to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's really hard to pick those songs. You gotta think about it, man like even guys like
1: Chris Stapleton put a cover on every record. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's I, I think that's almost like an homage to the guys that you think did it right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And if you're thinking yeah. about if you're thinking about music in general and country music specifically, There was always those standards that everyone sang, right? And that's when when they were playing out, everyone sang those songs. And then when they got a chance to cut them in a studio, everybody cut those same songs. And that happened for years and years and years. And you almost don't have that anymore. Specifically, there's reasons. It's because the way you get paid now for streaming, the songwriters get paid... And we, when you get paid on radio, the songwriters get paid, right? So you, yeah. you want to have a piece of that at least, right? Yeah. So uh, there's there's part of that to it as opposed to where if you're cutting a record, the pay structure is a little bit different, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird and stuff that I didn't know three years ago when I yes. started Rage Rowdy. It's a bitch. It's just, we- it's just <laughs> yeah. different. It's yeah. not it's not weirder. it's just different when you see that songwriters – are the artists now, that's usually a calculated move. And if it's not, it's someone that's in the crew of those people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, It's like you're helping a friend out, but we don't have those standards anymore. So people get in weird spots about cover songs or about an artist not writing their songs. Mm -hmm. But in my head, look at all those great old time country artists that didn't write any of their songs. Right. Like the old country. Or some that did, that wrote a song that was so good that a hundred people cut it on a record. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like.
0: Well, I mean, look, I'm a songwriter by trade. And I'll always be a songwriter first. I think it's just the way I was built and the shit that my life has put me through. But some of my favorite artists never wrote a single song they ever sang. And I kind of get that now. I never really got that before. I was one of the people who was like, yeah, well, they don't write their own shit. You know what I mean? Like, and I was like, yeah, you know, but I kind of get it. Like, I get it now. You know, there's some people out there that can really interpret songs amazingly well, but they can't write them. They just, they don't don't have it. And there's some
1: people in the most mainstream big artists do a mix of that, right? But it's almost to the point where, like, you almost wonder if they are always co-writing those songs or if it's yo let me help do this bridge so that I have writing credits on it you know what I mean? Like, There's definitely a lot of that going on from my experience and what I it know just seems, but- it seems contrived sometimes so that you don't think negatively about them from not writing it Yeah, as terrible yeah, as that sounds yeah. and that's why I'm like I don't give a fuck if they wrote it or not the best song wins for me man I don't yeah, care. As long I don't as care they believe they wrote it. it yes. As long as they believe it. And if as it's long believable, as they sing it
0: with something that makes me feel it. Right Dude, I'm telling you, we were the other night, Chablis and I were like fed up of being in the house together. So we we went on a late night drive and um went to pick up some stuff that we had to go pick up and um from a house that we were grabbing some stuff from. And uh so we just drove and it was like 40 minutes away, so we we drove down there and we were just listening to music and talking about it and stuff and um I remember playing her some demos that Bernie Nelson had sent me. And there's songs that like they hit her like a freight train, they still hit me super hard. And I would love to cut them. I really would. I don't feel like that's right for me, so I probably won't, but it just makes me think about being in that position. And, like, I could interpret that song just as well as something that I wrote. Imagine how busy you are right now.
1: Yeah. Right? Then imagine that instead of doing the number of dates that you do, that you're doing 200 dates. Yeah. Imagine that. How many songs have you written in the last two years?
0: Well, see, here's the... But but I'm just saying. I get get where you're coming from, and I think for a lot of people, I understand that. But but the more I'm playing, the more I'm writing... So for me, like if I have a guitar in my hand every day because I'm playing shit, like for me, it's different, but that's just the way that I work and and from being, just trying to be a little bit more open to things, I I do understand where that comes from and I'm not saying I'll never cut someone else's song Mm. and maybe you're right. Maybe I will end up doing more cuts of other people's songs at some point in time. Right now, I'm saying probably not because I really do enjoy having written, I don't like writing, but I love having written and I think that I, my interpretation of things has worked for me and in the way that I do it. The way I do records is I play, 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 play live, I write all these things down and then okay, I'm gonna do a record. So I hit the stop button, I write a whole record and then I record. You know what I mean? So as long as I'm in a position to where I can still do it that way, I can write a record a month. Not a lot of people can do that because they just don't they have a different approach than I do. It's not right. It's not wrong. There's no skill level it's just the way that I do it. The way that I do it is I compile things until I'm ready to write a batch. And then I write that batch, you know, and, and, and 30% of them become really good and survive. And then the 70% just get put in a catalog and get pitched or whatever they are. They're just, they get sent to other artists, you know, but I, I get it though. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of artists out there that probably become so busy and so engulfed by what they're doing as a touring artist that it's different. My thing is and, and with the deal that we're working on now and everything going on, the priority is the songs, and the songs that I can write. That's first. So that means Jackson's got to take 3 months off to write a record. That's what has to happen. You know what I mean? And I hope that the deals that we we get involved in and things moving forward that that's the way that we can keep them structured. But maybe not. Maybe I'll cut a record of old songs that Eric Church for when he was in the same position that I was. You know what I mean? There's a shit ton of those that I love. You know, I mean, I, I get it, you know. I mean, I think Miranda Lambert's probably in that position. I think, you know, Jason Aldean's definitely in that position. You know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, th- it gets to a point where
1: uh, you get so many songs that are so well-crafted that are sent to you. You're like, well, fuck. Am I going to cut that or am I going to write 150 songs to get one that's that good? You know what I mean?
0: Here's my biggest issue, and this is part of my arrogance and it's part of just the way that I was raised. I was raised by my grandfather, who was a professional motorcycle racer, and it was always, you have to figure out how to cut those seconds off the lap time and cut the gap. So when I hear a really good song, I don't hear, I'm going to cut that song. I hear, time to get the pen and paper out and one up it so for me i'm so competitive that i have to always up the game whether that be just for myself or something that i just heard it's really hard for me to admit that someone did it better than me until i have tried to beat that (laughs) You know I mean? yeah. and not that you can really say one song's better than another I, but for me it's like I can't. oh I never I never went <laughs> well yes but you get what I mean by yeah. that you know what I mean The music is very subjective so yeah. you you can't always you can't always do that but I mean it's not black and white there's a lot No of gray. you can't always compare it's really hard to compare you know The Wolf to uh you know I don't know. It's Southpaw by Kip Moore. <laughs> it's yeah. very they're very different. You couldn't say one's better than the other. They're just very different songs, but yeah, it's it's hard for me to do I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, you never know. I, I'm never gonna say never on this because then the when next Jackson's
1: week. cutting a bunch of songs we can we can come back to this. Come back to this, yeah. I'll probably be dead by then.
0: But. <laughs> oh shit.
1: <laughs> maybe me too. Jackson's hair will be as gray as mine then. <laughs> mullet? The mullet? Uh, I don't know if you have a mullet. I'm
0: starting to grow one.
1: I mean, it's all pretty so long, one, though. Yeah, it's... I could turn that into a mullet today if you're interested.
0: I, I'm not interested yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing free COVID cuts, but only mullets. Maybe by July. If we're still doing this by July and have been able to go to my barber. All right. I'm holding to that maybe july i'm saying 15th. maybe my my birthday is july 21st yeah so so you got to get it done before the birthday before my birthday i need a haircut whether it's a good <laughs> or a bad one i might get kicked out of my house if i let you cut me a mullet, though.
1: uh she really likes me she'd give you like a week to get rid of it that's true but
0: then i have to go full buzz cut uh i'll leave it so you we, we look yeah we, Figure it out. Let Nikki T work his magic on yeah. this one. and We'll see what the hell happens. We can figure it out. We'll, we'll just give you a nice little rat tail, and then I'll clean it up to uh, a fade. Oh my god! Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it might be enough to get people through these hard times. I mean, really, if you you get down to it, I mean, does it really matter? No, it doesn't. That's what can't, I'm learning. Can't see the back of my head on a Zoom call, bro. No, that's true. <laughs> I do a lot of Zoom calls though. Yeah, and I turn my head a lot, so I don't know. Details,
1: details. More yeah. of a big picture kind of guy. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of mullets, it's probably not a bad spot to end the podcast. It's probably on. not a bad spot to end. I I have something that's to, in the back, you know. It really is. Yeah, party in the back. The mullet is in Yeah, the back. party in the rear. Yep, literally
1: yep. lives in the in the rear end.
0: Thanks for everything that you do, dude. By thank the way, man. you, man. I, I got to say publicly that I get every chance that I get to say this, and I say this to Nick's face, by the way, because you probably have seen me say it on stage a thousand times if you've been to a show, but I appreciate everything you do for music for me and um the radio show's freaking awesome. Yeah. And you support people that don't have any support, you know? That should. Yeah. And everybody out there having a hard time through COVID, I'm I'm there. <laughs> and just remember through all of this that Epstein didn't kill himself. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's pretty much that's the moral of the story here.
1: Yeah. God bless America. It's the best country in the world. I
0: like America the best. Well, guys, make sure you follow Jackson
1: and you get Wizard. Yeah, check it out. You're probably buying Wizard. If you made it this far into the podcast, into an hour and a half, you're probably buying Wizard if you haven't bought it already. I think this or the first one you and I did. <laughs> <They're> probably the <my laughs> longest ones I've And ever
0: surprisingly, did. they're some of the most listened ones, I right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. People listen to them. It's, I don't know.
0: They like you for some reason. It's not. It's you and I together. <laughs> yeah. It's our partnership
1: that they love. Yes, uh, Two idiots in the same place at the same time. We should just do one soon that we just
0: talk about random stuff and not about. Not even about music. I like it. Let's do it. Oh, man. Why don't you guys submit some ideas of podcast topics? Yeah. Let's do that. Would you give us
1: another reason to hang out? I hate that. You know. Yeah, come down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll do it around a fire at my house. I'll make some mistakes, and we'll we'll just get drunk and talk about something that you guys want us to talk about. Fixed it, and we won't research it at all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna research it,
1: but I don't research anything. Yeah. (laughs) But guys, thanks for listening to Jackson and I BS and us talk about his brand new record, Wizard, that is available on iTunes. Google Play, Spotify, some Korean website that bootlegs music. Pretty much anywhere that you try to get music. LimeWire. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. I will be acquiring it off LimeWire with a bunch of viruses. Sorry, Mom's Computer. (laughs) But guys, thanks so much for listening. And while we can't all be out at shows everywhere, you can be at home listening to music and supporting artists like Jackson and others that are deserving of your time and your ear and uh, I'm your host Nikki T and we'll see you in the front row thanks dude
0: all the good old days yeah. you don't have to explain it it's just the way you are there are countries in your blood now ain't it like a tattoo on your heart with well, this hell yeah inside of you you let out on, on a Friday night It's up It's called Ray's Drowning